I'm in my room. I'm not sure if I'm awake or if I'm dreaming. My eyes are opening, my head moving, arm dangling, leg dropping, firming against the floor, pressing down. I start the shift, body tensing, wriggling. Blackness descends upon me, then, again, eyes opening, head, legs, arms. There's no murkiness, nothing untoward, but again I flash back to the beginning, back to my eyes opening, as if I'm waking up once more. I try to pull myself towards the floor, legs slipping out from under the duvet. Everything feels heavy, dark. My teeth are gripping shut, grinding installed little slips of movement. My eyes open again. I try lying still, staring up at the ceiling, at the cracks, like tectonic faults snaking across the roof. But my eyes find themselves inching shut, and even though I'm in the same position, I can feel myself resetting, lurching back to that original spot. I can feel emotion within me, like those dreams where I imagine myself falling. It's getting worse each time, like there's a weight on my chest. I'm struggling to breathe, can't move, I'm trapped on the bed. My arms won't even work now, or my legs. The signals from my brain seem to disengage, to evaporate even. It's like I'm trapped in here. Like my chest won't rise, like my lungs won't pull in air, my eyes opening and closing, thrust back and forth through this loop. I think I might be dying. I come to coughing up vomit in my bathroom, my body bent at an ungodly angle, foot wedged behind the base of the toilet, arm raised, drooping over the rim of the bath. I can barely make sense of myself, the angle I'm at, my location within the room. I'm wrapped in something coarse, friction burns across my legs and back. I'm otherwise naked, just this strange brown cloth and the white tiles of my bathroom. I start to untangle myself, brushing the vomit from my chin and wiping it down onto the pile of fabric now lying at my feet. It's very long, at least twice the length of me. It's old too, yellowing, pulling apart at the edges. Between the vomit marks and the sweat, there's a section that appears to have been hacked away, a square crudely carved out. I stand looking down at the pile, before moving back into my flat. I feel abhorrent, my whole body drained, scabbed and throbbing. Everything feels off, my balance, my thoughts, my skin. I have a rash all across my chest, presumably from whatever was on that sheet, and my eyes are blurring and stabbing as I adjust to the sun. Each step seems to conjure up some new pain across my body, shooting up my arms or bubbling across my chest. It's morning. I don't know what day it is. 
There are remnants of cans and bottles all over the flat, far more than I remember starting with, certainly far more than I'd had in the flat beforehand. There's streaks of food and vomit across the floor, a half-empty pizza box discarded, clothes, one of those industrial-strength vapes smashed into about three pieces, green liquid leaking out all over the floor. My sense of smell seems to have gone completely, because I feel like all of this should be assaulting me nasally, but I can barely pick anything up, just the faintest wafts of acid and sugar and old library books. My dinner table is covered in rubbish, torn pages, bags, clothing, all of it balanced haphazardly or fallen to the floor, strewn amongst stomped handfuls of Pringles and smashed beer bottles. It's all a little overwhelming, as if there's no way, no possibility, that I could ever tidy the whole thing up. I feel like I'm going to be sick again, but manage to swallow it as it rises up into my mouth. I need to get out of here, away from all of this. I run back to the bathroom, pulling the sheet through to the main room, unfurling it in the process, this light brown cloth covered in stains both old and new, with breaks and holes along the centre, most of which almost seem to have been worn away over time, like it were some three metre long wash rag. There's a sock and a pair of pants on the bathroom floor and I throw them out of the room too. The remnants of vomit are trickier, but there's only a couple of piles, so I grab the ends of the cloth and use them to sweep up as much as I can of the solid matter. I catch sight of the carved out square again, seeing tile grout through it as I carefully manoeuvre both sides of the cloth to collect the largest pile of vomit. Once that's done, I throw the cloth back towards the kitchen, scrub what's left of the bathroom floor with vanish and loo roll, then jump in the shower. I turn the water up, scalding the burns across my body. I lather myself, pour shampoo onto my hair, cover my face in soap. I clean my whole body carefully, my armpits, my feet, my penis. Everything feels sore, my rib cage especially, which appears to be in the initial stages of bruising, lilac-hued and delicate to the touch. My hair is matted with blood which I pull loose, trailing flecks of hair and brown water into the plug hole. I look down at my feet and things start to spin, my body briefly slumping forwards as I clumsily grasp for the sink. I hit my shoulder hard against the tap, cursing silently, scrunching my eyes shut, sinking into a seated position under the blistering heat of the shower head. I wrap my hands around my head. I need to escape all of this. I feel like I've completely lost control of myself, of my life. I feel like things have happened, like events have come to pass which cannot be rectified. I'm breathing in these quick, shuddering bursts, pain rippling down my body. Something wholly wrong has happened. Once I've dried myself and put on the only clean clothes I have left, I stop to survey the carnage. My bedroom is essentially as it always is, give or take a few items in places they shouldn't be. Lamps on opposite cabinets, books moved out of order. The bathroom now sits empty. Everything then is concentrated into the kitchen and living room. It's hard to tell what's broken and what's fixable, harder still to think about the process. Everything feels overwhelming, and I keep thinking about that sheet or cloth or whatever it is, draped over the clutter and the glass, stained in vomit and booze and blood. I need to get out of here. I need to get away from all of this. I grab my coat, crack a Red Bull, 
and as I'm pulling the sleeve on I hear the faintest whisper from somewhere in the room. I stop, my arm hanging out of the coat, Red Bull pooling in my mouth with a strange taste. Can't tell if it's a voice or something else entirely, this little needling movement of air, a light playful register like the wind rustling, but not. There's something distinctive about it, something specific enough that it can't just be ignored. For a second, the briefest second, I start to worry that it's in my head, that I've invented it entirely. But I move, and the sound changes, dulling as if obscured. The bin. I step over to it, crunching a paper bag beneath my foot in the process. The bin is one of those ones where you press the lid to open it. It clicks and swings up, revealing the square roughly hacked from whatever it was I fell asleep in. It's resting on the top, on this makeshift pyramid of food scrapings and crushed cans and wisps of hair. Just this vague, crudely cut out square of material. I take it out, picking it up by a loose edge, careful not to touch anything unsavory within the bin. I hold it under the tap, washing it for a solid 10 seconds. It's probably the size of a large handkerchief when unfolded. I wring it out as best as I can into the sink, fold it, and put it away in my back pocket before heading into Brighton. It's dark, streetlights yawning into life. Along my journey I pass faded rock stars of yesteryear, their faces marked with red like Passover doors, and my own involvement feels fake, like something planted in my brain. My feet hitch and slip from under me, as if the surface of the pavement is changing with each step. Smell is starting to return to the world, with vast waves of sulphur washing in from the sea. The streets are close to deserted. I pass a woman walking a large dog, and the way its tag dances in the glare of the street light briefly makes it look like it's smoking a fag. As I walk I find myself drawn to details in the world, rogue elements in the buildings, minor bristles in body language, odd shapes within tree trunks. There appears to be a disharmony within things, though I'd struggle to determine if this were a new development or simply a new perspective brought about by whatever the events of last night did to my body. In the park, I watched the squirrel approach me for some time, leisurely cutting a path, like a shark toying with an injured swimmer. We're the only people here, and it's midday, bitterly cold but bright, the sun right above the pavilion, almost blinding. It's a different squirrel to last time, I realise that as it nears me, different colour, different markings. It sat there, looking over at me, those little twitchy movements of its head scanning the rest of the park, and I can see intelligence in it, clear as day, there's no mistaking it. This squirrel is aware of me, and of itself, and of concepts, wider ideas, themes even, forces larger than just the basic needs of survival. It turns, darting towards the pavilion, and I follow, having to jog to keep up with it. Out of the corner of my eye I see Carrie Fisher, before darting back round towards the main entrance, doors flung open. Inside, in the room of mirrors, I am confronted by myself wherever I look, stretching out into irrelevance, warping and looping, grasping at an infinity that is wholly meaningless. The carpet below my feet is odd, brightly coloured, in these uneven, intersecting patterns. It reminds me of a bowling alley's carpet. It reminds me of a seat on a bus. It reminds me of the opening credits to a 1990s children's show. 
I don't know how I even got into this room, or why. The squirrel is nowhere to be seen. My breathing is starting to quicken, to grow shallow with panic. Everywhere I look I see my own face, so I close my eyes, pushing forwards, feeling the coldness of the mirror against my palms as it topples and shatters against the floor, and as I fall, tumbling blindly down the hill like some insulated madhouse, like some soft play area, my body bouncing and spinning as if it were a toy flung down a flight of stairs, and when I come to at the bottom, brush myself down, assess my injuries, stare up at the little frame of light, dozens of meters above me, and realize that I feel nothing, that whatever happened to me, barely happened, didn't happen. Soon I am in a tunnel, and the whispering starts again, so I remove the cloth from my pocket. The whole place is lit with this sickening fluorescent light, like a nightclub. I unfold the cloth, still damp, and hold it up. In the light, the patterns form a clear face, male, hollowed, with long hair and a beard. I hold the cloth up to the light, and see that his lips are moving, ever so slightly, these little murmurs and vibrations. I hold it to my ear, my eyes closing before I realise what I've done. The alleyway smells of urine, broken glass crunching under my feet. I'm drinking a can of coke but the bubbles aren't working anymore. Whatever part of my brain it is that registers carbonation has just switched off. It's just this thin, sugary liquid now, swilling about in my mouth. I tip out the rest of the can, watching it run down the hill towards the nearest drain. Paintings surround me, in the alcoves and brick walls, where men used to rest in tents and sleeping bags. Audrey Hepburn, Liam Gallagher, Ewan McGregor in train spotting. I'm not angry anymore. It's like being angry at the sea for eroding a cliff face. My phone rings again. Unknown number. For whatever reason, I answer it. Is this Nigel? Yes, I say. Unsure who exactly I told that my name was Nigel, and why I chose that name. Hi Nigel, this is Special Constable. I was hoping you could answer a few questions about the phone call you left us last night. Okay, I say, even though I don't remember leaving a call. Well Nigel, much like you, there's been great concern over here about the spate of disappearances within the homeless community in recent weeks. And you said you had some important information regarding those disappearances. I instinctively hang up my phone, darting my head around in a panic, eyes honing in on the drain near my feet. I crouch down to shove my phone through the gap in the grate. Once I hear the plop, I start running. I'm by the clock tower, next to the quadrant, cross the road and head into Waterstones. I'm sweating. I head down to the fiction area, looking through the shelf of reissued classic hardbacks. I read the opening of Finnegan's Wake and find myself eavesdropping on a man talking to what I can only presume is his girlfriend. His voice is extremely posh, but young, maybe twenty. He suggests on the road to her, which he seems confused about. He rambles about Kerouac, listless Wikipedia depth observations. She says something about her mother. He starts talking about Jude the Obscure, which he claims to be a masterpiece, before stating that some people struggle with the prose with an emphasis, as if such people were brainless dolts. His voice is so posh, this weird twang to it, unshakable, like a red wine stain. The girl sounds bored, says something about her mother again. He says, 
How about a novel with no plot, before letting out a short, fake laugh, and adding, no, really, like he's some sort of carnival barker, reeling in a yokel. I want to get a look at him, but I'm not sure I could do that without giving myself away. My phone starts ringing again, and I pull it out. The screen is damp, so I dry it on my jumper. It's a random number, and for whatever reason I answer it, putting the book away and moving into the secluded corner of the fiction area, where the back half of the alphabet and the table of cult classics are located. Calling again to speak to Nigel, says a woman's voice. Right, I say. If there's something you know, you really should tell us, Nigel. Nige. Can I call you Nige? Yes, I say, even though my name isn't Nigel, and even though I just remembered about the train. Nige, can I tell you what I like to do? Why not, I say, moving myself into the corner, the books touching against my shoulders, digging into the blades. I don't recognise anything on the table of cult classics. I used to be better about that sort of thing. I like to watch videos of people being sentenced to death on the internet. Okay, I say. There's quite a few of them, if you look online, on YouTube, from America or the Middle East sometimes, mostly America. And sometimes they already know. You can see that the light's already gone, snuffed out. Sure, I say. But sometimes, sometimes it's like a wild animal is unleashed within them. Like a mask slips off, like something real comes to the foreground, and everything else is revealed as pretense and structure and acting. Do you ever worry that we're all just acting? Yes, I say, all the time. Good. Voices crackling through the phone. These videos, to me it's not just... It's not just about that notion of authentic insight into someone is that there's something stirring and arousing, I think, about it. It's hard to explain. Listen, Nige, I, I... I know that you are on that bus earlier. What? I say, but her reply is drowned out by a screeching noise. It's dark and I'm looking through the dusty windows of a sex shop at these mannequins in lingerie, with this white curtain behind them, tastefully obscuring the interior. There's a big sign in the window. Closing down sale. It's printed out on paper. Looks like word art or something. This big red font. Below it there's another sign. On landscape A4. All lube, half price. I swallow, turning to trace the source of the noise. Two men are in the process of melting a bicycle lock with a welding torch, kneeling under a street light. Sparks are flying from the lock spitting and arching into the road. As I'm walking back to the flat, a taxi pulls up, the door sliding open. Amy beckons me inside, so I step up into the car, putting on a seatbelt. You need to put your phone in rice, she says, taking it from my hands and waving it at me, the screen glitching and blacking out. I'm drunk, sat up on one of those round wooden bar stools. What did you even do to it? Rain, I say, but I look outside and it's not raining, and when I look back to her, she has this weird expression on her face. You're strange, you know that, right? Yes, I say, I know that. I've never seen you outside of- And now you're here, and you're covered in water for some reason, quite, 
quite drunk, if you don't mind me saying. I tell her that I'm not that drunk. I tell her that I scaled the collapsing skeleton of the West Pier and was struck by lightning. I tell her that two local graffiti artists are behind the spate of homeless disappearances. I tell her that squirrels across the country have become noticeably smarter in recent weeks. I tell her that the Turin shroud was hidden behind the downstairs toilet at work. She's licking her lips with this odd, scrunched-up expression. I think this tastes wrong, she says, passing her drink to me. Do you think it's been spiked? I take a sip, and again the fizz is gone, though that could just be the ice. I tell her that I have no idea, but that she shouldn't take chances. She nods with a little smile. I excuse myself to go to the bathroom. In the bathroom I worry that I'm going to urinate blood, or that I'm going to black out that I'm going to wake up in a different part of the city, or that some part of my emotional state will be permanently detached, and I'll be forced to embark on the rest of my life broken in some capacity. I stare at my face in the mirror, hearing the distant rumble grow into a roar. I close my eyes. The waves are lashing against the skeleton of the West Pier, water and wind buffeting me as I cling to the decaying metal beams. It's a steep drop below me, Waves breaking and hitting my shoes. I keep catching the same foul smell from far out to sea. There isn't any strong footing. Everything seems to creak, as if it could give way at any second. I'm soaking wet, my jeans sticky with salt water, my bag moist against my back. I'm trying to get to the top level of the framework, but it might be impossible. There's no clear footholds above where I stand. There isn't really anywhere to go. No beams I could reach without chancing an unsupported walk. I look to the shore, the lights of bars, of the casino, of revenge, of the palace pier. I'm clinging tightly to the beam, looking around, when I start to hear the whispers again, start to feel vibrations within my back pocket. I lean into the metal pole, gripping it with my left arm whilst I reach round to grab the piece of cloth from my back pocket with my right. As I hold it to my eyes, there's a strike of lightning and the face is lit up for a split second, filled with something approaching anger, or maybe wonder, all big eyes and visible teeth. It's making noises I can't comprehend, arcane whispers and grunts. With each lightning strike I see the face again, the beard and the hair and the moustache. The lightning seems to be approaching me from across the sea. The muttering is growing louder, though still wholly incoherent. I'm holding it at eye level, each strike placing the face right next to mine, the words into my mouth, but there's no sense to it, no message, just more madness. I'm soaked to the bone, and the thunder's growing closer. Once again I can feel myself at the centre of all of this. The next one is sure to be above me. I take the cloth, scrunch it into a smaller ball as I can, and hurl it, not that it goes too far falling into the sea maybe a metre or so from me. I grab back onto the metal with both hands, clutching it tight. There's a bright light, and suddenly I'm falling from high above the city. It's not like before. I can feel everything. The wind resistance beating against me, pulling my cheeks back. I'm flailing my arms around, looking up, desperately grasping at my back, but I'm naked. Brighton is starting to melt into view, Landmarks and layouts emerging, the city, the sea, the cliffs. As I get closer, I can see more. The ugly viewing platform they installed by the decaying skeleton of the West Pier. 
the dome, the pavilion, the lanes. That's where I'm falling. I'm a kilometre up, maybe, the wind pulling tears from my eyes. I don't even really know how I feel anymore. That's the strange thing. I haven't really given myself the time to think about it. I often feel like that. Like I've been in this detached state for so long that I now essentially exist as two people, an intellectual inner self and a vapid physical husk of inputs and outputs, with an impassable chasm between the two. I've endlessly analysed my life, because there was nothing else to analyse. But there's nothing real about my life, just like there's nothing real about the brickwork thundering towards me. It's midday. I'm drinking a coffee, which is odd, because I don't drink coffee. I'm sat opposite a woman I don't recognise. We're in the middle of a conversation that feels warm but robotic. We're outside a cafe, near Hove, I think. She keeps touching my hand. I can see a church. I only vaguely know where I am, and I don't remember coming here. I say that I've been feeling strange recently, darling. How so, she says. I say that my whole body has been feeling uncomfortable that what was previously just mental has started to become physical, to bleed out into sensation. I tell her that my limbs feel disconnected from my body, that nerve endings feel delayed, that tastes feel abstract or broken, that I keep waking up with bruises I can't trace. Okay, she says. I tell her that I'm increasingly convinced that I sit at the centre of something important, but at the same time aware that I've completely lost control of the reins that things have spun out of orbit, potentially without fix, and that there is every possibility I have completely lost my mind. I add, that it is also apparent to me that most people who have lost their minds, or who are in the process of losing them, are not aware of this, which probably indicates that this is not my current state. That seems reasonable, she says, taking a hand off mine to sip her coffee. I tell her that since my breakdown, reality seems to have cracked like an egg, and that where before there was this endless, featureless expanse that was horrifying in its own way, now there is this spasmodic, slippery unreality seeping into every facet of my existence. Right, she says, and I can't tell if it's coming from me, or if it's from some distant point in the universe and I'm the only person wired up to it, or if that's a monstrously indulgent way to engage with what is essentially a series of coincidences because I can't shake this notion that something's going on, something parasitic, in me or in this city, this country. Right, she says, brushing her cheek, like she's about to say something profound. Over her shoulder, rounding the corner by the church, a double-decker bus, going at least 70, mounts the pavement, shooting past the church, bouncing as it drops back onto the road. On the tables around me, everyone scrambles from their seats to run, including my companion, but I stay still. All of this is over in a second or two. The bus crosses the street at an angle, clipping a parked car and ploughing into the front of the cafe a metre or so from where I'm sat. The front of the cafe is solid, a brick frame with a couple of small windows, and the noise is incredible, this ungodly smash of metal and stone. I'm knocked from my chair by the force of it, grazed and hit and probably burnt. My ears are ringing. People are screaming around me. The first couple of meters of the bus has entered the cafe. I can see blood. I pick myself up, brushing down my arms and legs. I walk into the cafe, through the door, which is half open, awkwardly shunted from its frame. 
People are screaming and crying inside. Where the bus came in, I can see bits of people, a leg sticking out from under the wheel. Some of the passengers have managed to get the side door open and they're pouring out. There's this one woman clutching her arm, which is dangling limply at her side. In front of me, a man is kneeling over a woman, who is sat on the floor, looking down at something. I look back around, back to the bus, the open side door. There's a couple of passengers still on board. This elderly woman lying prostrate on the floor where the fold-down seats are, a foot twitching. There's a TV screen behind her showing Twitter updates about the bus route. There's blood everywhere, these little patches and pools of it, marks and scuffs all over the seats and handles and the little red buttons. I wonder how many people were on board. There's a trail of crimson leading up to the driver's compartment that I find myself following. I'm looking down at the floor, at the texture of it, feeling that little scrape under my shoes, trying to avoid stepping in the blood, and then I'm at the door. I look up. There's the driver, male, 50 maybe. His head is leaning against the wheel, facing me. He's dead. He must be. There's blood everywhere. He looks so happy, this unmistakable Richter's grin etched onto his face like a statue. I'm just stood there, looking at him. His eyes are wide open, his mouth is open too, this row of uneven, yellowing teeth. I reach my hand through the coin slot and towards his face, pressing against his cheek. He doesn't move. I press his eyeball, squeezing into it. It's warm. He looks so happy, irrepressible, catatonic. At work I have the shroud folded within my rucksack, and I keep going downstairs to check it's still there. I think Kieran is growing suspicious, but he's always suspicious. He's currently dribbling into a chocolate croissant, rambling at me whilst I put out the new price tags for the wine. Something is going on, man. Something is going on. You were talking about the homeless people going missing. No, I wasn't, I say, even though I was. Sorry, yeah, maybe that was someone else, he says. But there's so much going on at the moment, man. This honestly might be like the end of days or something. I doubt it, I say. Kieran is looking directly at his palm, holding it up to the light and turning it, staring into each crack and furrow. We've always been far closer to everything falling apart than we've wanted to think. Perhaps, I say. And now, like, something is going on and the government is going dark. Like, we don't know what's causing it. And we're the little guys, right? We're mulch, we're ants, we're nothing. Right, I say. So we're going to be fed into whatever this is. Whatever's going on, we're screwed, clearly, because we're not important people. I ask him if he wants to be an important person. He seems surprised by this. It's not about that, is it? Like, I wasn't that good at school. My parents weren't rich. I grew up somewhere okay. I'm like, normal looking, not that funny or anything. What exactly is going to happen? I guess, I say. And that's like okay or whatever, like, this job sucks obviously, but I'm not gonna work here forever. But like, the world's not full of rock stars and prime ministers and billionaires, right? It's full of people like me. It is, I say. And people like me need to make peace with that, he says, putting the last piece of the croissant into his mouth. I head downstairs to check the shroud, pulling it from the bag and laying it out, wrapping my hands in it, sniffing it. I'm starting to panic already. 
my hands and feet twitching. I'm drinking from a hip flask. I stole a bottle of whiskey and I've been filling it up all shift. I can feel that wobble within me. I'm drunk by the time I get back to the flat, falling through the door, immediately heading to the kitchen cupboard to retrieve my Stanley knife. I lay out the shroud on the floor of my flat. It's so long it barely fits, and it's making all sorts of strange noises. It takes me some time to find the face. I have to turn the lights all the way up and scour the centre for the dim patches. I could really use a UV light or something. Once I've found it, I hold down on both sides, scraping the knife on the fabric, effortlessly cutting through it. Despite the ease of the cuts, my increasing physical clumsiness, exacerbated by all of the alcohol, leads to me making quite a mess of it, the resulting square approximate at best. But it will certainly do. I start drinking some more. I shout into the square of cloth. I dance around my flat. I order a pizza. I get on the table. I take my clothes off, hurling them across the floor. I miss time a vomit run. I drink some more. I take the face and bury it within the bin. I coat myself in the rest of the shroud, pulling it tight around my shoulders, ripping and scraping at my back. In a strangely conscious moment, I watch myself drift off, watch myself lose control, writhing on the bathroom floor as if I were some outside observer on my own life. I can almost feel the camera panning out on my naked, red body, wrapped in that rag. I walk up to the cliffs, feeling utterly broken. I can't place the smell of the sea, fresh in a sense, but othered. Once I reach the edge I realise, with a lurch, what it is. By the windmills, a mile or two out to sea, sits an island that I'm certain did not exist before. It can't be too big, this jagged, rocky thing, surrounded by blinking red lights. But I've never seen it before. It's as if it appeared overnight. I'm right up at the edge, my toes tensing at the border. I have no connection anymore, no grasp of anything, no grounding, no purpose. Not that a studied, methodical grip to sanity was ever much of a purpose to begin with. Now it's all just noise and carnage, and I'm so bored. Everything hurts. I don't know where I am half the time. Everyone looks the same. Maybe the world is ending. I guess that might make sense. But I just don't care anymore. About any of it. Myself, least of all. Far in the distance, behind the dancing lights of its sibling, I watched the shambling corpse of the West Pier groan and snap, collapsing into the sea in a scream of metal. In seconds it is swallowed, reclaimed, as if it never existed. Down below me, the waves are thick with white froth, only a narrow line of rocks on the beach, high tide. I close my eyes and jump. I'm in my room. I'm not sure if I'm awake or if I'm dreaming. My eyes are opening, my head moving, arm dangling, leg dropping, firming against the floor, pressing down. I start to shift, body tensing, wriggling. Blackness descends upon me. Then, again, eyes opening, head, legs.